Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, here we go. Welcome, Todd Zill, on what is a busy day uh, for the Mets. A lot going on. Uh, all of it overclouded by the uh, news about Sandy Olson leaving the team and to battle his uh, reoccurring cancer. So we send our best, obviously, our prayers to his uh family and to himself for everything that he's got to go through and uh, that obviously far more important than the Mets problems which on the field continue to just uh, multiply and uh, I've seen Todd Zeal talking about it recently uh, as he has uh, been analyzing the team and we welcome him to the program now Todd welcome how are you Mike how are you good thank you. To you yeah it's nice talking to you so uh I've watched you in recent days as this team has kind of mystified you a couple times and surprised you a little bit. And uh, and you, as a guy who I know is uh, eminently fair, uh, even you've been a little surprised by some of the stuff this team's had going on the last couple of days, huh? Uh, Yeah, I have. And first of all, I just want to, you know, um, mirror your sentiments to Sandy. Um, Disappointing. I think Sandy's a great guy, and um, yes, you know, one of the the great old school and a tough guy too. Uh, guys, Clearly a tough and, guy. And a tough guy. Yes. So yeah, yeah and, and I I love the fact that he's uh, taking a leave of absence and he's uh, expecting to return. So um, well wishes to, to Sandy and his family, starting there. So um, as far as this Mets team, um, tell me I what you after, see. Tell me what you see. Yeah, you know what I I, tw- I said after twelve games that this could be the worst thing. Uh, to happen to Mickey Calloway and this team early on because they were finding ways to win. Mickey was pushing a lot of buttons that were a little bit um, unusual and kind of everything was going perfectly and you knew that it couldn't continue that way. And then I think this, um, you know, this rash of injuries and some of the just impotent offense um, has begun to really get, to me at least, looks like under the skin of some of their veteran players and, um, and then putting added pressure on some of the younger guys. They don't really have um, the lineup top to bottom right now to be able to pick each other up. I think they didn't know what their identity was coming into the season. Um, this team was a team that slugged. They were first in the National League last year in home runs. Uh, this year they're 21st in all of baseball uh, with home runs. So um, they've got to figure out different ways uh, to find a way to, to score runs and to win. And they just have not been able to do that. And obviously, injuries uh, have played a huge part of that. Todd, he's got a little bit of a, let's call it a new wave, but uh, I've heard this a lot from 
recent vintage managers and or coaches in every sport about how they want to show the players they care. They want to show the players they're, uh, you know, that they are emotionally involved. They want to, as when he came to the team, he talked about how he wanted to show them love. And I'm like, do you think some of these veteran players uh, have a problem with that reaction where, you know, it's always, well, you know, everything's, it's not turn over the buffet table anymore. It's not yell at guys anymore or fight with umpires anymore. It's go out there and show everybody a whole bunch of love and pat them on the back. Yeah, I, I've seen that. And look, um, I'm a guy that's much more from that old school. And I think this sort of parallels uh, new age parenting in some ways that everybody gets a trophy and there's honorable mention for just showing up. Um, and at some point, when you're a major league baseball team and you actually are paid to perform on the field, win baseball games, and give your ch- and give your city something to root for, um, results do matter. And there's been so many times, I think, during the course of this early part of the season, where in in you know in an effort to try to stay positive and make sure that he does show that he's got the players back, um, there's been some things said that some of the old school guys like myself would scratch their head a little bit. And that is, Hey, we're happy about our preparation. We're happy about the work that goes into it. We're really working on the fundamentals. We're uh, you know ready to go every day and we're trying and really result. We're not looking at results. Results aren't what is important right now. And I, it just, at the end of the day, results do make a difference in this game and results make a difference to the success of a baseball team, uh, a player and a manager, and um, I think I've actually been pleased in the last couple of weeks to see Mickey come out of that a little bit, show a little bit of emotion. He got on Conforto at one point. He um, talked. He had a team meeting and said he was never going to have a team meeting and then had one and kind of aired them out a little bit. So I think those things are coming, and I think he's tried to do what he can to stay that positive um, player-backing manager. But I think at some point, Results are going to make a difference, and he's got to be a little bit more assertive. Can you figure out what they're doing with Rosario? I can't. I mean, they benched him when he was 10 for 30 in his last 30 at-bats. He didn't look to be appreciably playing any worse than he had played at any one point, and now he's not in the lineup again. I know Reyes had two hits last night, but he's only hitting 170, and he's not the future. Clearly, this team is not playing well, and they're trying to build for the future. Why would they sit this kid now three, four games in a row? Uh, that's a great question. And um, obviously, I'm not in that clubhouse day-to-day, so I would never claim to know what's gone on in there. I'm not in Mickey's head, and I don't have some of the knowledge that Mickey certainly has regarding this situation. All I know is that on the air, I said, something seems off on this. Why do you give a 22-year-old kid a day off after going through an eight-game hitting streak, hitting 333, and then not only say you're going to give him a mental break to work on things, but then go the opposite extreme to say that you're so pleased with the way Reyes has been playing and that you're pumping him up as if, A, like you said, he is the future, or B, you're, he's so instrumental to their success right now that you're going to get something out of him that you're not already getting from Rosario. It just didn't make sense to me. And then to see it happen on a couple of occasions – um, for a few days in a row. I mean, Reyes went 0 for 5 the first day they gave yep. him the uh, the, yep. the day, yep. and then he had a couple of hits yesterday. But, um, hey, are you trying to make I, – I think there's some message being sent to Ahmed Rosario. I don't know what that is. I don't know the reasons behind it. 
but it feels to me like there has to be some message being sent to him that we as fans and analysts are not exactly aware of. Do you think it bothers them? And we're talking with Todd Zeal, uh, who uh, does the Mets analysis and was, along with Robin Ventura, the Mets had two of the, not only stand-up guys, but two of the nicest guys who ever, I always tell people, the nicest, one of the nicest baseball players I ever met was Todd Zeal. I mean, he was always accommodating. He always did interviews. He was always the nicest guy. I mean, you and Robin Ventura both would get that award as being the nicest guys who ever came down to Pike as baseball players. So, uh, and do you think, Todd, that it bothers the guys on that team that they hear no news out of Cespedes. Here's their star player. Here's their their guy. And nothing. Not a word. No no updates. Nothing in front of them. Just zero about about Cespedes. I think the reality is they, they probably would like to hear that he's coming back and he's going to have his bat in the lineup. I think outside of that, they realize that he's kind of on his own program. Um, he's not even in New York, and he's at least, for the last report was given, has no baseball activity um, as of yet and not in the real uh, near future. The thing that I thought was really interesting about the Cespedes of the situation, however, which may play into what you're talking about, is Sandy, a couple of weeks ago, who was very, very clear about what he says to the press, called his injury chronic. He then reiterated it as being um, recurring slash chronic in his last interpresser that I saw about Cespedes. If this is a chronic injury and they have said that he can't resume baseball activities until he is pain-free and yet it's a chronic injury and may never be pain-free, then what are you looking at with Cespedes? I think right. that's the real question here. What are we actually looking at with this guy? And is it a situation that the Mets don't want to bring him back half healthy because he's going to continue to go down and maybe that affects the way they handle him from a salary standpoint or the other things that are business things that may go into this that we're not aware of as well let me ask you this one this might be a hard one you got these kids in the minors who they move from double a who are hitting the second baseman and the first baseman alon they're not babies alonzo and mcneil they go from double a to triple now they're in a hitting league obviously out west as we know they're both hitting in the AAA now. Uh, McNeil's hitting 370. Uh, Alonzo hit three homers the other night, knocked in seven runs. Um, when you were coming up, was there a point, did you need to have a certain amount of success before you knew you were ready? Did you ever get to a point on the minor league level where you felt ready? Was there something that triggers in a young player when he is ready? What, what has to happen before they, or do you not know when you just and you just roll it out and then you find out? Is there anything that ever triggers when a guy's ready? You know, that's a really great question, and I think it goes to the individual because, as a young player, I was, in hindsight, really, really fortunate that when I got drafted as a catcher in the Cardinal organization, they went out and immediately traded for Tony Pena, signed to do a three-year deal, and then sat me down and said, "Hey, what you do at this level right now." doesn't matter you're our guy in three years we're not going to rush you along take your time develop be ready when you get here we want you to stay and I had that kind of you know uh, reassurance going into my minor league so I wasn't obsessed about how I was doing that week and who was doing ahead of me and why am I not getting called up there's a very different philosophy within a lot of different organizations and what you find sometimes is that a kid that's having a great minor league season goes to AAA, 
He's, you know, gets really hot all of a sudden. At the big league level, when the team's struggling the way this one is, there's an urgency that people are trying to put on, get this kid here, get this kid here. But the organization has to really do a great job of thinking long-term. And they're looking at it from a scout's perspective. Is this kid going to a hitter's league, just getting off to a hot start? Is he really adjusting to what he needs to adjust to? And you could say, you look back at Rosario and Conforto, both of those guys did some time in the minor leagues. They were projected as top prospects all around baseball. They came up here, and both of them have found struggles with their successes. So this is not easy. Going from AAA to the big leagues is not an easy transition, and it's really important to make sure that those guys are not just physically ready and putting up numbers, but are mentally prepared for what happens, especially when you come to play in New York City. You know, it's funny, and we're talking with Todd Zeal. You were, you were a Cardinal, as you just noted. Uh, the Cardinals and the Dodgers are known to be the two organizations that always teach the same way at every level and have a way of doing things that is universal through their organizations. They More than any other franchise, Backman was quoted today in an article as saying, and he didn't want to, wasn't trying to take shots, but when press said the Mets do not spend a lot of time on fundamentals with their young players, less than other organizations do. He said uh, that he noticed that when he was in the organization, uh, even as a manager recently until until two years ago, that the Mets did not spend a lot of time on fundamentals with their players, say like the Cardinals, and he used the, they used the Cardinals as an example. Yeah, well, the Cardinals, I can only say from my experience there is that it was really, really important um, at the very top, all the way down to everywhere in the minor leagues. George Kissel, a 70-year... Uh, sorry about That's this. That's all right. Uh, That's all right. Don't worry I'm about on it. the barge here. Yeah, but, don't worry about um, it. A 70-year uh, you know, member of in a Cardinal uniform with guys like that, Red Shandies, um, and then Whitey Herzog at the very top that believe pitching, defense, speed, timely hitting, those types of little things that made the difference in games. And Whitey has World Series rings and uh, championship rings to, to prove it. So that was really, really a point of emphasis in the Cardinal organization. Some organizations have um, not been so, I mean, I was with 11 organizations. So some just kind of, um, you know, let, the, or let the, the, the team at different levels kind of decide how they approach fundamentals. But I think this goes to, and Wally's point, I think goes to, you know, the discussion we were having about um, Dom Smith and, Mickey saying he didn't hey, have a bunt. He didn't, he didn't, didn't know bunt. how to bunt. Right. So is Mickey, and it was it was an interesting point to where we're like, Mickey, why would you say that out loud? Because that is, if that's the case, then and you wanted to bunt, then you should have had somebody up there that, that could bunt. If that's the case, and you didn't want him to bunt, then you say, hey. Dom's an RBI guy. I thought he was going to drive one out of the park. We haven't been driving runs in from second base anyway, and you leave it at that. For him to make a point of saying this is a big league guy that doesn't know how to bunt because he's never bunted in his life, I think might be a shot across the bow of that uh, uh, of the, the player development um, as a whole because there's not a guy in my experience ever that is a hitter, whether he's a cleanup hitter in the minor leagues, or he's, um, you know, hitting ninth that hasn't at least had the experience of laying down a few bunts on a daily basis, learning to at least do basic fundamentals so that if you're called on, if it's a crucial situation, you can do what you've been able to be able to do since, since you're in Little League. And 
the thing is, Dom Smith had the whole left side of the infield. It wasn't like he was being asked to bunt for a base hit or do some great drag. It's a really basic fundamental. So that was a surprise. And I think some of that has been lost in the era of statistics and algorithms because the reality is small ball in the statistics now in the numbers game doesn't pay. It's swing, swing and misses are okay, strikeouts are okay, walks are good, homers are best. So um, that is the philosophy, and guys just don't need to learn how to play small ball, get a runner over, and find a way to advance a guy if it's an out for you because it doesn't help you in the statistical data, which is what it's all about now. We're talking with former Met Todd Zeal, who's been, uh, you've seen him on an SNY, analyzing the Mets uh, before and after the games. Conforto, I've had Bobby V in, he likes Conforto. I've had Keith, Keith says he really likes Conforto. But Conforto continues to struggle. There's something there. What do you see or not see from Conforto? Well, I'm, I'm a big Conforto fan. been a supporter of his um, from the day I saw him in Brooklyn. Um, and part of my, you know, real love for Conforto is more than what I think his ability speaks for. I think he's, he's a quality young man. He's got a great work ethic. I think he really cares about his... Um, you know, his performance on the field. I think he really cares about how he contributes to the team. I think right now, um, from what I've seen of him, he's coming back around and he may get really hot. And when he gets hot, he can lift the team on his shoulders as he's done before. But I think this year, coming off an injury, not having um, a really productive full spring coming into this season, he's kind of getting through the spring training process early in the season. The weather's going to warm up a little bit. He's going to feel more and more confident about it, really letting his, uh, letting the swing go without having in the back of the mind, uh, you know, oh, I hope my shoulder stays together. And then I think he'll get his timing because I've seen him, for, for a guy that's got such a pure swing, I've seen his timing be off. He seems to be late on balls and undercutting balls, which is a sign to me that he's not getting his front foot down, he's not getting himself in a position to hit the ball out in front of the plate, which he has the ability to do, and he does on a little more consistent basis when he's got his timing together. So I still hope that he's going to put together a quality year. You're starting to see some of the things break out, and as I said, he's got such great power to all fields. He's got a pure swing, and when he gets hot, he can carry the team. A lot of strikeouts, though. 70 and 230 at-bats this year. How about Nimmo? What do you see with Nimmo? Look, I love Nimmo. I think he's been a real uh, bright spot for the for the Mets this season. I mean, you have to love his infectious personality. Absolutely. And Very positive, no question. You know, yeah. the, the, thing, the thing that, I, that I'm that i smiling about now, which is not so funny, is that this this recent stretch for this team and the, the, the struggles that they've had getting runs across and supporting some of their pitchers or just finding ways to win has even knocked the smile sometimes off uh, Brandon Nimmo. And he's got to stop jumping into the ball. You can't jump into the ball like that. No, no. He he got pulled back again the other day um, for that. Wearing a big arm guard, um, which, uh, you know, Hey, if you're wearing a big arm guard, I guess it's there to be used. But um, no, look, what I like about Nimmo is that, for a young player that's really kind of getting his feet under him this season, he's got great plate discipline. He has a very repeatable swing. He's, uh, he's not afraid to go deep in the count. He's not afraid to take a walk. He can, uh, he's, a, he's a quality base runner. And 
he's done a really good job of adapting himself to left field and center field and could obviously even play the other corner of outfield if need be. So I think he's a, a versatile guy. I think he's a good spark at the top of the lineup, and I think he's only going to get better as he continues to mature. Do you see anything that's – I mean, most people aren't very high on Dominic Smith. Do you see anything you like in Dominic Smith? Um, I, you know what? Honestly, my, I haven't seen him – enough what i did like about him um the last year and what i've seen about him um this year is for a left-handed guy with some pop he didn't have a lot of pop early in the minor leagues it kind of developed last year and even uh in the big leagues last year is he's got some pop straight away in the left center and if he can continue to hit for a little bit better average make more contact so that he's not striking out um as much I think he's got a chance to hit for an average and develop some more power. And he did hit right nine now, homers last year. He, you know, right, he, he, he did. did. That's yeah, what I'm he, yeah, he did. He, he hit more homers up. than people think. He only had 160 right, at bats. He hit nine homers, which isn't bad. And, and he came up with people thinking that he wasn't expected to hit a lot of home runs because he had he had some power, but not you know great power. So if he's showing the ability to drive the ball out to left center, then that means he's got power in there. The one thing that is a little bit unusual and I, I remains to be seen is he's done an amazing job of getting himself in better shape. He's really trim, but I haven't seen yet whether that's taken any pop out of his bat because sometimes yep. when you got guys that are a little more portly like that um, and they lose weight, sometimes some of that strength gets sapped from them and, the, and a little bit of the pop gets sapped from their bat as well. So I, I'm anxious to see how that develops with him. Todd is a terrible streak like this like they're in, harder on the veteran player or harder on the young player? I think it's harder on the veteran player because I think a veteran player, especially a guy like Jay Bruce or Todd Frazier, I'm thinking of those guys in particular, um, are guys that thought going into the season that they had, an, they had a, a realistic chance to win. They thought the team that was compiled, if they stayed healthy on the field, they had an opportunity to have a, a quality quality starting pitching staff with a depth in the bullpen that could get some games from the sixth inning on and enough pop in that lineup that they could score runs and win. So when they got started off so well, I think there was a lot of expectation that, hey, this is our year. And I think for those guys that know that their, you know, that their um, years to, to win are, become, are shrinking every year, it becomes more valuable for them to see wins, to see a successful team, and to be in a place where they've got a chance to get to the postseason. Listen, thanks for your analysis. Appreciate it very much. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on. Anytime, Mike. Thank you very much. Todd Zeal, back after this.